Hey everyone, my name is Kyla. Welcome to my channel where I talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things. Welcome to the Everything That You Need to Know series, a series of different primaries where I break down everything that you need to know about the stock market, the economy, and the crypto market. Today, it's Crypto 101. If you want to go ahead and hit subscribe, that would be going right into Web3. I'm going to be doing a deep dive onto everything that you need to know about crypto. This is just going to be a very basic overview of Web3, blockchain, some cryptocurrencies, Ethereum drama, and how you can get onboarded. Just as a heads up, I do have all my notes linked in a Notion document, which is attached to the description box below. What is crypto, right? What, that X essential question. What the heck? So let's talk about what the heck today. So what the heck is Web3? We have to go back in time to understand what Web3 is. Web1 was kind of the beginning of the internet era. That is when the internet was primarily read. The everyday consumer was given content to read, to engage with. It was static websites, it was portals, it was directories, it was emails, low bandwidth, very limited hardware. The Web2 era, which was read-write, it's what we're currently in right now. So when you think about how you engage with social media platforms, how you engage with other users, how you put content online. YouTube.com is a web2 company. You create content, but it's stored on centralized platforms, Instagram, etc., Twitter. It's social networking, it's mobile, it's cloud, it's machine learning, it's software as a service, all of those things. What Web3 is, is it's a decentralized network. It's read-write-own. So it's a decentralized network that everyone can create on, but nobody actually owns. So you're not in charge and I'm not in charge, but we are in charge of our own data. Essentially, the way it's right now is that Facebook is able to sell your data to advertisers. You don't get any of that. You just get your data stolen. The idea with Web3 is that your data is your data and you should be totally in charge of that. Your content is your content. You should be able to monetize and own that. What does this look like? It would be cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Ethereum. It would be DeFi. Uniswap, Yearn, SushiSwap, it would be DAOs, Friends with Benefits DAO, Constitution DAO, NFTs, so OpenSea, uh, Foundation, Zora. But that's kind of how you can think about these differences is that uh, Web3 is read-write-own, so you own your stuff, you own everything, whereas Web2 is more read-write and then Web1 is just read. And so you're like, okay, Kylo, that's awesome, but what is Web3 actually built on? Good question. Blockchain. <laughs> oh, so the blockchain is very interesting. It's an immutable digital ledger that facilitates the process of recording transactions and tracking assets in a network. Transactions are rolled up and recorded as a block, so they're connected to ones before and after it. They timestamp transactions and link them together. So what does all that mean? It's essentially a way to record transactions, and it's composed of three main things. It's distributed, so it's organized and displayed to everybody. All the computers on the network can see the data. It's immutable. The transactions can never be changed are hidden the way that that is accomplished is more blocks are added on as more transactions go through and so you just can't go back and change that it's decentralized so communal consensus determines access to the blockchain here all transactions are recorded they're transparent they're sticky they're not going away and everyone has access to it and there's really no middleman it, it relies on a decentralized network of users to validate and record transactions instead of a central authority so the way that we would normally maybe interact with a bank right so you have you and then you have your money and then you have a person in the middle the idea of the blockchain is to remove that person in the middle even if you're getting a loan you have maybe somebody in the middle there and the idea is how can we have a more straightforward process for interacting with each other and for getting transactions done, removing that extra layer of complexity. And so this accomplishes a few key things. So it's constant. So the blockchain is open 24-7 and it's fast. So no more waiting three days for a check to hit because transactions can happen almost immediately. And then it's secure. So the distributed network of nodes that underpin a blockchain actually provide a blanket of security. So if you think about it, if you're relying on one centralized authority, that, that leaves that central 
centralized authority open to a lot of problems, right? And if one domino tips, a lot of dominoes might tip. The idea here is because it's decentralized, that risk is spread out across a lot of different players. It's also inexpensive, so because there aren't centralized rent-seeking intermediaries, as once one website called it, the blockchain platforms are able to operate at a lower cost, and it's also tamper-proof. Once it's time-stamped into the blockchain, you can't go back and be like, well, just kidding, because it's there, and anyone can view those transactions that are present on the public blockchain. What does all of that mean? Essentially, the whole idea here is the blockchain is built on being trustless, the information is tamper-resistant, you can't mess with it once it's implemented. And I think kind of an interesting comparison here is to the corporate bond market. So the corporate bond market, you still essentially have middlemen that are negotiating down the price of a bond or explaining the bond to each other, and the blockchain would sort of get rid of that intermediary. It would be more like you going directly to a farmer's market instead of going to the grocery store for your food. So you would have a transaction directly with the farmer than having to deal with that middleman of the grocery. So that's another way to think about it too. And then from a pricing component, some of the additional complexity gets erased away. You don't have to trust a third party here. Everything is censorship resistant and tamper-proof. And the blockchain itself is this really interesting ecosystem of users, node operators, developers, and miners slash validators who all play roles in a mutually beneficial network ecosystem. And there's a lot of symbiosis there, right? Like it's it's kind of like that that bird that sits on the alligator and it cleans it off. Everything kind of works interconnectedly. With miners slash validators, depending on the consensus mechanism, um, they produce blocks via consensus and they vote on how to process transactions slash construct the block. The block with the majority support will be written into the chain and they're motivated by um, newly minted cryptocurrency or transaction fees in order to get that done. The incentive and validation structure here is supposed to prevent any criminal activity from occurring. So People aren't going to be able to just like run away with stuff because there's that built-in incentive mechanism. The nodes are actually what runs the platform's blockchain software. They vote and validate blocks of transactions. They communicate with other nodes to agree on the state of the blockchain. They store the history of the blockchain as a universal source of truth. And nodes are kind of the way that you can interact with the network at large. Then there are smart contracts. So smart contracts are these big chunks of code that are encoded on the blockchain and they're automatically executed when different conditions are met. How does the blockchain come to fruition. So there's a couple of different types of consensus mechanisms. So proof of work, under proof of work, it's a distributed network of miners that are solving cryptographic problems in order to create a new block of transactions. Solving the problems does take a lot of energy, which is why it's like, oh, this is probably not great for the environment. But when a block is entered in the blockchain, those transactions officially become a part of the blockchain. Bitcoin and Ethereum right now use this proof of work mechanism. Ethereum is trying to transfer over to proof of stake because proof of work is a little bit energy intensive. So proof of stake. Here, users stake a certain amount of native coins into the network of validator nodes. The node is chosen to validate the next block. They'll check all, that all the transactions in that block are valid. If so, then they'll sign it off and they'll add it to the blockchain. Oftentimes, this is kind of random, but the more native coins that you have, the more likely that you are to get chosen to do this. But then there's proof of history, which is what Solana uses, and I'll talk about Solana. So essentially what this says is just kind of interesting. It encodes time onto the blockchain so that there's verifiable ordering. Everything occurs sequentially. Not all the nodes need to agree simultaneously, but there's these timestamps. What are the different types of cryptocurrencies? So cryptocurrencies are digital alternatives to fiat currencies. I talk all the time about the US dollar. These are sometimes attempting to compete with the US dollar. Are they a currency? Are they money? Who knows? And as a reminder, what is money? So money is a medium 
medium exchange it's a unit of account and it's a store of value so medium exchange means that you can say hey i'm gonna spend this one dollar and you're gonna give me a banana and you can turn around and get a pair of shoes with that same dollar as well this is also a unit of account so it's a measure used to represent the real value of an item so if you look at a three hundred thousand dollar house versus a 1.3 million dollar house you're gonna be like all right i understand three hundred thousand dollars versus 1.3 million and then store in a value so you pretty much assume that your dollar is going to have relatively the same amount of value today as it does tomorrow. There are a lot of medium exchange tokens in the cryptocurrency world, so tokens that are used to pay fees on internal blockchain. Really, the store of value assets are Bitcoin, Ether, which is the cryptocurrency of the Ethereum network, and obviously a couple others, but those are the main two that people think of. Stable coins are kind of the store of value right now, but like it's like, what's going on there? Especially with Tether. Uh, and also, like the whole thing is like, okay, USDC is tied to the US dollar, and therefore it is centralized. So there's a lot of noise in the stablecoin universe, but that is kind of the goal for stablecoins to be that store of value over time. And I have a whole video on that if you want to learn a little bit more about stablecoins. So what are some of the top cryptos? So first, Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the first peer-to-peer version of electronic cash that allows people to send money back and forth without a financial institution, so without that centralized intermediary. And it's executed, like I said, through this proof-of-work consensus mechanism, which is done through mining. And this is just a super basic overview, but it's the world's oldest cryptocurrency, and it was conceived by Satoshi. And right now it has a market cap of over $1 trillion. It's essentially an online system of computers powered by blockchain technology that stores and processes different financial data. The max supply is 21 million coins, so scarcity, it gets into the whole economics conversation about scarcity. There's only 21 million. Who has the 21 million? And people have all different price targets for it. Some say, like Michael Saylor, I think it's like a 100k, 500k, this price target. Uh, he owns MicroStrategy and they are essentially a way for you to get uh, exposure to Bitcoin through a public company. So a lot of people own Bitcoin, but nobody owns Bitcoin, right? So nobody is in charge of Bitcoin. It's completely decentralized and it's doing a lot. Then there's Ethereum and Ethereum 2.0. So Ethereum is kind of like a world computer, whereas Bitcoin is more like digital gold. So Ethereum does a lot of different stuff through decentralized applications, which are known as dApps. And those are powered by token economies and different automated smart contracts. The network is fueled by its native cryptocurrency, which is ETH. And that is used to pay different transaction fees and a lot of other things. It's programmable, it's private, and it's censorship resistant. So it really forms the backbone of like this decentralized internet where we get like DeFi, NFTs, etc. It's currently proof of work, but with a transition to ETH2, it's, it wants to become proof of stake. And there are a lot of other layer two scaling solutions that are currently in place. <laughs> There's a lot of contention here, and I'll talk about uh, the Ethereum drama in, in just a minute. The big value prop I, I see with Ethereum is the composability aspect of it. So composability allows anybody in the network to build on top of and around different products and services, especially in the Ethereum ecosystem, um, that has really helped them. So the fact it does really allow people to kind of like build alongside of it, build on top of it. It's just very cool what it does offer in terms of that. Ethereum 2.0 is based off proof of stake and that will allow a higher level scalability. You'll see Ethereum be faster, be cheaper, etc. It's expected to be completed in late 2022. And so that is really what Ethereum is promising right now is, is all this growth and, and potential in terms of scale. They still got to get there. And so it's a layer one protocol on blockchain. It's an Ethereum competitor to a certain degree. It is cheaper, it is faster, and it uses proof of stake and proof of history. So that enables it to be faster as they use, not proof of work like Ethereum does right now, which takes a lot of computational energy, takes a lot of time, gas fees are through the freaking roof, but rather they use these different consensus mechanisms that enable them to move so much faster and to be so much more agile. They have a very interesting business model. <laughs> they have a lot of VC dollars and they're backed by a lot of very good names. They are centralized 
guys, they do have a CEO um, and they went down this year. They actually, like the Solana blockchain kind of crashed uh, just because there was a lot of people going to it. There was an Unchained episode with the founders that was very good and I'll link that below. But yeah, so Solana is kind of, um, you know, it's like, oh, will it be a competitor to Ethereum? There's the meme coin, so Doge, Shiba, people coin from the constitution DAO. Those are just different coins that people like to speculate on. I don't even pretend to understand the meme dogs. Those are also a part of the crypto ecosystem where people speculate. There's also rug pulls. So different projects will, you know, go up because they offer an infinity percent APY. <laughs> and that's also part of this, this ecosystem. So what's going, what's the Ethereum drama right now? What's going on with Ethereum right now? So right now it's this big debate around L1 versus L2. Why does that matter? Because <laughs> the future of Ethereum, right? And so it, it, Twitter is kind of funny right now because uh, a lot of people are talking about it. Ethereum is getting a little bit closer to flipping Bitcoin. But like I said, just a basic overview here. So layer one protocols are, this is not just about Ethereum, but this is any crypto with a blockchain. Ethereum and Bitcoin, but they're both layer one. And then layer two scaling solutions would attach to those to improve scalability and transaction throughput. Ethereum, they have these gas fees that are pretty high because they need to scale. So these gas fees are the, the fee that you pay in order for the miners to look at your block and than to execute upon that block. And you've got to incentivize the miners to do the work. Uh, it's pretty high during the day if you go in the morning time or at the night time when the big banks aren't online. Uh, it, gas fees will be a little lower, but they are. I paid $80 yesterday and that was pretty low. They can be pretty exorbitant if a lot of people are online. And so the whole thing is like, okay, we've got to get this figured out. Like gas fees are through the freaking roof, everybody. We've got to take care of this. And so they're like, so Solana is like, well, you know, we could replace Ethereum. Like that would be one solution. <laughs> right now, the scaling solution for Ethereum is sharding, so breaking the blockchain network down into those little pieces to reduce network congestion and to reduce workload, to spread out workload. There's also cross-chain interoperability, so this is where things like Polkadot come in. So they're more like layer one enhancers. They're designed to connect multiple blockchains together. We kind of have like a multi-blockchain world. The, the winners here will be those that can integrate with the Ethereum ecosystem. And then there's layer two, and this is built on top of layer one. It's designed to improve scalability, uh, lower fees, a lot of other features. They take the transactional work off layer one and they rely on the scalability and transaction throughput of the main chain, but everything goes a little bit faster. Rollups are a key example here. They, they roll up mass transfer processing into a single transaction that reduces the amount of data that's held in the transaction. Uh, they take all that stuff off the, the main one and, and they operate with this idea of zero knowledge. And then there's optimistic rollups. And so essentially what these do is they assume transactions are valid by default and only run a computation via fraud proof in the event of a challenge. They're optimistic about it, that they sit parallel to the main Ethereum chain on layer two. They don't do computation by default. They just notarize. So some examples here would be Optimism and Arbitrum. Then some examples of ZK rollups would be Starkware, Loopring, ZK Sync, etc. So Ethereum is really interesting because you can really do a lot on it. It's kind of the gateway to different financial services, whether that be DeFi, NFTs, on-chain identity management for DAOs. There's a lot that I did not hit on in this video. So I did not hit on DeFi. I didn't hit on lending. I didn't hit on decentralized exchanges. I didn't talk about staking or yield farming. I didn't talk about dApps. I didn't talk about DAOs and I did not talk about a lot of the cryptocurrencies that are out there. I will have a part two up, uh, but this is just a really basic overview of like what even is crypto? What is sort of the uh, conversation happening in the crypto universe right now? And if you want to join crypto, how should you do that? You can open a wallet. So Coinbase wallet, MetaMask, Rainbow. And this is really what you need to do before investing in anything crypto. So you can have your Coinbase account, but it makes a lot of sense to open up a wallet because that'll enable you to have fun in the DeFi universe, to have fun in DAOs, 
wallets. There are a couple different types of wallets. So there are hot wallets, which are online hosted wallets where you buy crypto from Robinhood or Coinbase. And then there's a self-custody wallet. So you're in complete control of the assets here. You can also do a lot more like yield farm, stake and lend. And that would be like Coinbase. That would be Rainbow. That'd be MetaMask. And then there's cold wallets. So a hardware wallet, a physical wallet that keeps everything very secure. If you have a lot of money in crypto, you should have a hardware wallet just because nothing is that secure online. Your seed phrase, that is how you get access to your wallet. Your seed phrase is a very important phrase that you'll get when you open up your wallet. Never share that with anybody. <laughs> there is no one to call if your money disappears. This is super important to take care of. Your public key is what you can use to share with others to send and receive transactions. That's kind of like your Venmo username. You would send your money to somebody else with their Venmo username. And you can also purchase a .eth address, but do note that, that everybody can see that. Everybody can see what you own because they know your .eth. So just know that that is opening you up to a higher level of scrutiny. Then, you know, what do you do for from there. I'll talk about that in part two, but you can purchase an NFT. You can join a DAO. There's a lot of stuff that you can do. Kind of enter the crypto universe to play around, to be a part of it because it is, it's growing. It's very, very cool. I feel like crypto is sort of where the early 1990s was or the, the late 1990s, I guess, was for the internet. Like people were like, oh, we'll never have that. That's crazy. There was a good thing from Cortland Allen. There was this guy talking about how he felt about the internet. And I felt like it was very relevant to how people talk about crypto now. So this was written in Newsweek in 1995. After two decades online, I'm perplexed. It's not that I haven't had a gas of a good time on the internet, I've met great people and even caught a hacker or two. But today I'm uneasy about this most trendy and most oversold community. Visionaries see a future of telecommuting workers, interactive libraries, and multimedia classrooms. They speak of electronic town meetings and virtual communities. Commerce and business will shift from offices and malls to networks and modems, and the freedom of digital networks will make government more democratic. Baloney! Do our computer pundits lack all common sense? The truth is, no online database will replace your daily newspaper, no CD-ROM place of a competent teacher, and no computer network will change the way government works. He was totally wrong. You have the speculation in internet stocks, you have the rampant speculation on crypto, but there's a lot of cool stuff being built, and I'll talk all about all that in part two, DeFi, etc. If you want a, like a really good resource, obviously, Bankless is very good in terms of more in-depth stuff. The crypto community is very active on Twitter, and they just talk, and it's really, you learn a lot just from the osmosis of reading tweets. <laughs> Signal versus noise is very important, but it's it's a very fascinating space and hopefully this was a helpful overview. I will be back tomorrow and sorry for being gone yesterday. I had this big piece on Olympus and I was like, never mind. Thanks so much for spending time with me. All right, I will see you soon.